This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. I know you've been getting a lot of ice fishing in lately. Do you have any highlights so far for the season? Yes, I uh, iced a nice six-pound largemouth the other uh, weekend and, and managed to escape from that particular pond without frostbite. So uh, I regard that as a certainly a, a good benchmark for the rest of the season. Great. Well, uh, when we think about the past few weeks, it, uh, one topic that I think was worth bringing up at the start are SRI ESG. It's been a few weeks since we talked about it, but I know we've seen some inflow records for green bonds in the most recent week. Uh, what's happening with that part of the market? You, you're right that the sort of the top level story continues to be very strong. Uh, inflows into both uh, SRIESG equity and bond funds. Um, What has changed in the past few weeks is that in relative terms, if you measure those flows uh, as a percentage of the assets that the funds manage, uh, the needle has tilted uh, towards um, uh, green bond funds. Uh, And I think the answer there is that uh, investors are anticipating a surge in new issuance as um, uh, <coughs> governments on both sides of the Atlantic uh, start to uh, impose new climate uh, protection and, and, and uh, environmental mandates and in many cases back them up with hard cash. Um, so uh, there's an expectation that the green bond market is set to really expand, uh, and that you know there'll be a lot of opportunity there <coughs> for for investors and managers who sort of know what they're looking at, uh, and even better, uh, probably some positive yields, since many of the issuers will be. Uh, coming to market for the first time, uh, seeking support for unproven concepts. So um, you're likely, uh, I think, to sort of see a period of of dynamism in the green bond market uh, and, uh, you know, some opportunities and risks for for getting extra yield in what is generally a pretty thin uh, environment for yield. And is this global sentiment? Are we seeing it in any one particular region, or or is it is it really broad? It's pretty broad. The two fund groups where we're seeing the strongest expression are U.S. and global. Uh, obviously, the uh, the U.S. is uh, seeing a serious change of tone at the top with the, the Biden administration, uh, which is pursuing a, a 1.9 trillion stimulus package that they hope will kickstart uh, a much more aggressive uh, green and uh, climate change oriented uh, agenda. Um, but the, the U.S. isn't alone in this. Uh, you know, even though the, the Paris Accords 
uh, have set out uh, goals that many countries fall short of. Uh, there's certainly a feeling that there's no escaping uh, the uh, issues that triggered those accords in the first place, and that uh, with greater and lesser degrees of enthusiasm, governments around the world will be um, sort of rebuilding infrastructure uh, with a, a, a much more green focus and nudging uh, industry and consumers to change the way that they manufacture and buy. So, Cam, last week on the podcast, you mentioned that you and the team were going to be taking a look at a few areas. I wanted to come back to one of those uh, to start with convertible bond funds. I know we had seen pretty big flows into the fund group uh, the week prior, and I guess we saw pretty big flows this past week as well. Is that correct? uh, Demand for them has really surged. when you think about it, it's not that surprising. Uh, you have, on one hand, uh, rising ec- expectations for inflation, which can be pretty toxic uh, for bond prices. Uh, and you have a stock market that uh, seems to set weekly records uh, and set a new one sort of earlier this week before falling back. Uh, so an, an asset that allows you to uh, hold it as a bond with a regular payment but uh, convert it uh, into equity uh, if you get the right strike price uh, is, is very attractive in the current environment. Would you be surprised if we saw continued flows into this group then? Uh, no, I wouldn't because uh, the uh, the potential inflation narrative really is hanging around this time despite uh, the experience in the wake of the great financial crisis uh, and other fund groups that uh, tend to move uh, in tandem with rising inflationary expectations, which includes bank loan funds, Uh, and um, inflation-protected bond funds are also seeing uh, consistent uh, inflows that are, you know, of a higher order of magnitude than we've become accustomed to. What else did you and the team look at this past week? We also took a look at frontier markets and 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 the demand (coughs) for exposure to them. Uh, Frontier markets are the basically the riskiest and least developed of the uh, emerging markets universe and um, y- investor interest in them is often uh, a sign that uh, a rally into emerging markets is sort of reaching the frontier um, and can be a sort of a, a warning of a pullback. Um, on the equity side, uh, no sooner had we started looking than they posted their uh, first outflow in several weeks. Um, and uh, you know, that that uh, is sort of consistent uh, with a, a general retreat from the sort of theme-driven uh, country grouping style investment that was very popular uh, about a decade ago, but has really limped along ever since. Uh, you know, EPFR still tracks uh, brick funds, Brazil. Uh, Russia, India, uh, and China funds, and uh, have 
custom groups representing some of the other acronyms such as civets, mist, and mint. Um, but there seems to be uh, sort of very little uh, appetite for that. Um, but on the uh, bond fund side, uh, frontier markets bond funds uh, had uh, particularly large inflows during a week when uh, emerging markets bond funds as a whole um, showed uh, a rare week of outflows. So uh, it does seem like the the interest in in emerging uh, in frontier markets uh, is uh, playing out as it usually does, a, a sign that. Uh, uh, a surge in interest in emerging markets overall is is sort of getting uh, fairly close to a rollover point. So an area we're we've been talking about as far as interest goes, obviously, is the tech sector um, keeps attracting assets. What are a few of the themes that you think may get overlooked in the conversation? Uh, you know, we hear a lot about Facebooks and Snapchat, et cetera. What are some of the themes that you think are getting overlooked in the tech uh, rally? Yes, no, that's a good question, Todd, because uh, obviously in the face of it, uh, why when uh, the the FANG stocks are getting pounded by politicians and regulators uh, pretty much all over the world, um, uh, is the the enthusiasm for the technology sector funds we track so unabated? Uh, And I think part of the answer is that, uh, you know, the sheer rise, uh, size and noise generated by the so-called fang plays, uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, Netflix, uh, has obscured the fact that, you know, the technology sector is a huge and diverse one um, and that, uh, you know, historically, um, much of the interest has focused uh, on uh, subgroups such as uh, semiconductors uh, and uh, you know, uh, software producers such as Microsoft, which though uh, they're more in the background these days, certainly haven't gone away. Um, you know, the team and I did a, a quick uh, breakdown of uh, the, the mandates for uh, the 30 uh, tech sector groups uh, that have recorded the biggest uh, inflows since the beginning of last December. Um, and uh, among the groups that uh, had, uh, where there were sort of more than, than one fund in the group, um, were robotics, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, semiconductors, uh, and I think perhaps most notably cybersecurity, uh, which has seen a uh, huge uh, bump in interest uh, since the uh, hacking uh, scandal. Well, scandal's the wrong word, but you know the hacking events in the U.S. Uh, really hit the headlines late last year. Um, so uh, it, it it is a reminder that, uh, well, the FANG stocks are an important part of the uh, technology universe. They're by no means the only part of it. Another area that I had a recent question on, um, it does seem like commodities may be playing a 
bigger and bigger portion of the conversation this year. Um, you you made an interesting point about Canada and Australia in regards to commodities. Would you explain a bit more? Yeah. So um, although commodities tend to be viewed as uh, an emerging markets play and, and, and strongly correlated to uh, various emerging markets fund groups, uh, there are two big resource plays in the developed world, uh, Canada and Australia. Um, and in recent decades, uh, they've become somewhat attached to the two major economies in the world, uh, China and the US, with Australia's fortunes being very much tied to <coughs> Chinese demand for uh, its raw materials uh, and Canada waxing and waning uh, in line with uh, US uh, output. Um, in recent weeks, we've definitely been seeing the pendulum uh, tilt towards Canada, um, which is, is uh, clearly uh, yet another play on expectations that uh, the U.S. economy is going to be further stimulated with another trillion plus in fiscal support. Um, and... Um, uh, a return to you know more conventional uh, economic relations now that the Biden administration uh, is installed in Washington. Uh, whereas Australia, interestingly, given the fact that China's rebound uh, from the COVID pandemic was the earliest and 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 has been the most consistent and strongest so far, um, there's been less appetite for. Uh, Australia, at least at the moment, there's a feeling that, that China, A, has stockpiled uh, more than it probably needs. Um, uh, and secondly, that uh, China's, uh, Australia's relations with China uh, have uh, deteriorated at a time where chi China uh, is feeling very assertive. So, uh, there is less certainty that uh, Chinese growth is going to uh, translate into uh, the kind of benefits for Australian uh, primary product producers that uh, was the case uh, earlier uh, in the decade and the, the, the two decades before that. So, Cam, what are you and the team going to be looking at this week in the data? We're circling back uh, to an issue I've talked about with you before, which is that uh, we've wrapped up a research paper uh, on uh, the impact of uh, the Bank of Japan's uh, uh, ETF purchase uh, program on the ETFs we track and, and the stocks. Uh, within those ETFs. So we're going to be uh, polishing up a paper on that and obviously kind of reviewing uh, and checking the findings. Um, we're also going to take a, a quick look uh, at where um, cyber currencies uh, fit in uh, with the, uh, the signals that uh, our universe of data generate. Um, this is going to be something of a preliminary look just to see how much uh, attention uh, we need to give this phenomenon. Uh, but it also ties into a broader uh, look at uh, 
volatility and new signals for volatility that we'll be working on broadly during the second quarter. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Kim. Have a great week. I will. You too. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 